Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Podcast. Now, here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to the PowerCat Questions Podcast. What a week. It's been it's been a full week and we're recording on Tuesday. I got done with work on Monday after posting a bunch of stuff, and I thought, wow, is tomorrow Friday? I literally did. But I'm not very bright. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, Ryan Gilbert here at the Go Cat Home Studio and Dog Spa. There's currently a dog on the couch doing something I don't want to describe. Mm. Mm. Come on, you would if you could. Oh boy! <laughs> what uh, if you are a subscriber to GoPowerCat.com? You are getting your money's worth this week. We've had back-to-back cannonballs, which is insider information only at our VIP message board, Wabash Station. Good stuff, juicy stuff, stuff, and we appreciate your questions that we won't be discussing here on a public podcast. Maybe kind of hint at some things, but no, that stuff's up at Wabash for our subscribers. That's why they subscribe, and hope you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, nothing definitive on either front, but certainly very, very interesting. We're sponsored by The Fridge. They're very interesting. They have liquor and booze and stuff. I just found out a buddy of mine has a, a dog named Bullet, spelled like Bullet Bourbon. And I thought, maybe I should get three new dogs, because these three are are defective as hell, and name them Bourbon, Whiskey, and the female can be Jen. I won't like her, because I don't like Jen. No? I don't know what to say. I was just inspired by the fridge wholesale liquor. Okay. Our segment sponsors are Tanner's and the High Low. Making big plans for Tanners. I'll probably be down there some on Saturday because Saturday is real Patty's Day in Manhattan. It's the actual Patty's Day. Because, well, Patty's Day falls on a Wednesday. So it gives us true Irish people a double opportunity. You can have the real Patty's Day, uh, which, by the way, spelled with D's, on uh, Wednesday and go down there and, and be truly Irish. Or you can have the Cultural Appropriation Day. When everyone gets to pretend they're Irish, why do we allow that? Because it gives us more drinking buddies. That's why. That is why. Uh, and then the week after that's the NCAA tournament. I'm, I'm just going to say it. I don't mean to be a pessimist here, but K-State won't be involved in the tournament. Gills, four-game winning streak in Kansas City, ripped through that bracket. Mm-hmm. Maybe. TCU. Shove aside Baylor. Now Baylor will withdraw with COVID problems again. Probably. There you go. That's what KU should do too. Sounds like. 
KU with two players in protocol. So that means they're just exposed as of now. That's all they're saying. Maybe they do actually have it. If David McCormick has COVID, do you even bother playing the NCAA tournament? Zach, yeah, I thought your plan was pretty good. Yeah, I think they should just withdraw. If if you have COVID problems, just withdraw from the Big 12 tournament. Withdraw from the NCAA tournament. No postseason. And there's your punishment. We banned ourselves. Everybody else does it. Why not just say, hey, we're going to take a our postseason ban now. Pay it forward. We're going to uh, just shut down athletics at Kansas for the year. I want to stop baseball since the coach is also suspended. Is he still suspended for a DUI? I, <laughs> they I have saw, so many I, problems. Somebody put that on Wabash, and I had never heard of it. They, so uh, yeah. I'm surprised. Um, I had forgotten about it, but yeah. Um, they have so many problems right now at KU that it's fantastic. It's like this is the best Christmas ever. The chancellor's in hot water. The AD's an idiot. They fired their football coach. Basketball's under NCAA investigation. And baseball has a, a coach that is or was suspended. Um, what else? That's probably it. There's probably things going on we don't even know about. And what what I'm saying here, Gills and Zach, is it makes me feel better about the crap show that's been KU or K State athletics lately, because it's not been good at K State. Hmm. Well, I know our house is in disrepair, but the neighbor's house burned down. And that makes us happy. <laughs> wow. Heartless. <laughs> it's KU. We got lots of good questions from Wabash Station. It was an active thread from our VIP subscribers, and we appreciate it very much. And to get us going in the first half of this podcast is we go a little bit early this week because K-State plays TCU on Wednesday late afternoon. Is that what we're going to call it? 5.30 p.m. tip. Rush hour. 5.33 p.m. tip on ESPN. It's on, on the big it's dog. On is this the first time K State's on the flagship channel? I don't know, but they're going to regret it. <laughs> it's going to be purple on purple semi violence. Going to be like two drunken teenagers pawing at each other trying to fight. That analogy didn't really. You yeah. tried. I tried. Let's get to the questions. Go Zach. First question of the podcast is from I Like Pickles Cat. Should we be concerned about Antonio Gordon on a personal level? Weber's remarks after the game make me think that something more than just wanting to transfer is going on. Um, I don't know. I don't want to read too much into it. I mean, is it possible it's, it's physical injuries? Yeah. Is it possible it's um, a suspension based on something else? I'm just going to say that. I don't like to, unless I know it, I don't like to say it. That's possible. I mean, it is. I think he's in a good place. I don't think it's a mental issue, like he's depressed or anything. It seems like when we've dealt with him, he's been in a good place. He had the cool video about trying to be Dennis Rodman. Um, You're welcome. And uh, I just think he's tired of it. I think he's going to transfer. That's just my guess at this point. I would, and if I had to pull out something, I'd say he guess he he will transfer uh, to Tulsa. I mean, he was committed there before he committed to K State, so it makes sense. I mean, he's from Oklahoma. Yeah, makes, makes sense. sense. It's not like you're going to go to Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. No. So if you're going to go D one, maybe a, it's not like the Americans necessarily a step down. I mean, they're considered one of the upper echelon 
conferences. So, I mean, you don't get to go to Lubbock, but you know, right. I mean, if you just look at it from that standpoint, you get to go to some pretty decent places. Yeah. Well, Wichita. I just, I'm surprised by the abruptness of it. You know, he's missing, and it just, it, it, a lot of things don't add up here. And just the way that that Bruce Weber was talking, just the way he was talking after the game, you know, it just, it seems like something is up. And it just, I think that whatever happened or is happening probably took Weber by a bit of a surprise too, just based on his remarks. And he wouldn't really go into details. And yeah, I'm with you that I'm, I'm, you kind of worry about him and you're worried about what's going on. But at, at the end of the day, I think Antonio is going to be okay. But, you know, he'd been playing pretty well, you know, over the last month or so. And just for it to to stop and it, we can't even confirm, you know, Bruce is unwilling to confirm his status with the team. It just, it's all very strange. That was the strangest thing, Gills, is that I was about ready to raise my hand in the Zoom press conference and, and our Michael Goins got to it before me. Just the point blank question, is he still with the program? There's really no good way to duck that question, and and he tried to. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. He dodged it. He dodged it. He went back to the injuries, so that tells me he's not with the program. I mean, wasn't at the game. If it's just injuries, you're at the game. If it's COVID, you say it's COVID, and you're not at the game. If it's a concussion, you say it's a concussion, you're not at the game. Uh, I would think if you're not at the game, you're not participating in team activities because uh, for the most part, it hasn't always been that way, you know, like during the 13-game losing streak. A game is a team activity. They kind of got away from that philosophy for a while. But it's disappointing. More to come, I, I would imagine. It's not – for me, it's not there's more to come. There's going to be more to come, folks. Who is going to be the big question? Who's leaving? The abruptness is what's weird about it because, you know, even Marcus Foster and Cartier Jada, they still played in their last game in Kansas City. It doesn't you know? make sense. He's won two games away from the end of the season, so that's what's weird about it. Three games. Four games if they win. Five. Eleven. 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 <laughs> wow. So you lost Antonio Gordon and you went ahead and won a national championship, Bruce. How do you feel about that? Yeah. By the Sweet 16, Antonio's probably asking, hey, can I play now? <laughs> can I help out I the feel team? better. <laughs> From Claws Out, Balls Out, have you ever had a coworker underperform at their job, but the company kept them on because they were really nice? And also, were they making seven figures? Well, yeah. I mean, not getting paid that well. Of course. It's me. I mean, you know, everyone loves me. I buy them drinks. Right, Gills? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Zach. Uh huh. I think I've even picked up a dinner for you back in the day at Oahu, maybe. I don't know. A couple times. Yeah. People like me. I don't work real hard. I'm working harder now. I don't get paid seven figures. I barely get paid five figures. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. I do. Yikes. Oh, uh, no, I mean. I get what you're asking about here. I mean, but that's not the only reason Bruce Weber is still the basketball coach at K-State. I really like Bruce, and I'm critical of Bruce. You can have both things. There's too much of this in our society, whether it's politics or uh, anything else. Being critical of someone doesn't mean it's a personal attack. 
but we're all, we all kind of feel that at times. And we're so insecure that, oh, you're critical of me? You must hate me. Why, why, are, you, why are you after me? I mean, it just happens. And it happens a lot now. It happens more in this profession than it did 10 years ago. You're critical of a coach or, or someone, and, and they, they have a meltdown. They, they internalize it. Uh, they, they take it as a declaration of war. And, and anymore, if you say something people disagree with or you do something people disagree with, it, it, it almost just makes it all, you know, it's not about work or anything. It's just so internalized. Bruce is a great guy. I, I, so I get what you're saying. I, get, I understand that. But it also is the reality that people don't like him because he's not winning or because his voice is high-pitched or, or they don't like his style. And, you know, I probably have fallen victim to that in the past, but I'm, I'm, I'm a better man now, Zach. I've learned about myself in this journey. You should see the look on his face. But, yeah, I. it's one of the cards on the table why he's still the coach. The other is some people really believe he's going to get K-State back, and in three years they'll be winning another Big 12 title. They've normalized this process, which there's nothing normal about it. And some of the fans have, too. There's nothing normal about this kind of bottoming out as part of the process of being good again. That's just weird to even think that. I never said that with Bill Snyder. Oh, oh, you, you just won a Big 12 championship. Oh, they did do that. Never mind. Uh, let's go back to 98 when they were really good and they lost a ton of talent. They came back in 99 and 2000 were pretty good. So, um, yeah, 2003, then they did bottom out. But it's it's just not normal. It's not like they went from Big 12 championship to 0-11, 0-12. I mean, they were around 500 for a couple of years. So it's... Yeah, you know, I'm just talking now. It's okay. Let's move on to the next question. Next question is from Jim Cat. Are you surprised that Jamie Dixon has done so poorly at TCU? No. I know they have not been good for a long time, but I really thought he was better than this. No. Gills, what are your thoughts on Jamie Dixon? You're you're a younger guy and and um <clears throat> you kind of He's been the coach there probably almost all the entire time you've really been paying attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I remember Matt Pitt, and he was he was impressive. And that was when the Big East was the really good Big East with Georgetown and West Virginia and, you know, all those good schools. And he had success there, and people forget about that because of, you know, how bad he's been at TCU. So I am a little surprised by it. I know TCU's probably the hardest school in the Big 12 to to, to win at, I would say. So I get it. It's tough. But at the same time, you know, they got robbed of an NCAA tournament bid. What was that? Two years ago, I think, um, when they're on the bubble. So I would say I'm I am surprised. But at the same time, it doesn't shock me that the TCU is not the, the best team. Yeah, I'm not surprised that they've, you know, been bottom third of the conference. But you might. And, and early on in his career, he did improve on what Trent Johnson, what he was doing, you know, they got better. They're better now than what they were when they first joined the conference. Oh, no That's doubt. for sure. But, and, and yes, Jamie Dixon had decent success at Pitt, but him taking the job at TCU is just, I don't know. He, what, do, what does TCU expect? 
I don't think they're ever going to, they can ever count on selling out their arena. I don't think they're ever be that good, but a bubble team is about their ceiling, at least right now. You know, that year they got, you know, they made it, they were just short of the NCAA tournament and they made the NIT. That's a, that's about the limit there. That's about what you can expect from TCU. And while Jamie Dixon is a better coach than the NIT, is he good enough to make TCU better than the NIT? I don't know. Let's review Jamie Dixon's career. Uh, I just found it interesting here. I hadn't looked at his numbers for a while. And again, I'm just going to focus on uh, his conference standings. I mean, he's got – he lost – he won more than 20 games all but one season at Pitt. And he was there from 03 to 16. So – I got to do math here, and it's, I'm going to explode, and that's not what I want to do. He was at Pitt for 13 seasons, it looks like. One season, the second to last season, he won 19. <laughs> um, he started off with not a bad season at all, 31-5 um, and five and won the Big East. That's a good way to start your career. He dropped to fifth, 10-6, and 10-6, and 12-4, and 10-8, 15-3, tied for second. 13 and 5 tied for second, 15 and 3 won the league again, and then they dropped to 5 and 13. Does that sound familiar? Tied for 13th in the conference. The difference here, though, is he had been in the NCAA tournament, uh, including an Elite Eight run. Well, this is getting really eerie now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He, he, uh, including an Elite Eight run, then two rounds of 32. Um, And then they dropped. The 13th in the Big East, and they won the CBI. I don't know if they have a trophy for that. Would you have a trophy for the CBI and actually put it out on display? Or would it be like uh, socks you got for Christmas? Nice socks. Like they're in the dresser, and you can Mm -hmm. see them, but you're never going to want them out? Yeah. Yeah. Then in uh, 12 and 13 after that, they went back to the NCAA tournament. They went 12 and 6 in the Big East, and then they joined the ACC, and that's where things started to get a little more rocky. 11 and 7, 5th, and then back to back ties for ninth place at 8 and 10 and 9 and 9. So he was still hovering around 500, but they had dropped substantially in, in terms of where they were placing in the ACC. He went uh, round of 32, NIT first round, round of 64 um, in his three years with Pitt and in the ACC. He came to TCU and was a miracle worker. Uh, wow. Uh, they went six and twelve his first season, but twenty four and fifteen overall, and they won the NIT. Twenty one and twelve, nine and nine, fifth in the Big Twelve, went to the NCAA tournament and Webbered the first round. Uh, then twenty three and fourteen, seven and eleven. This is the year you're talking about NIT semifinal last year. Sixteen and sixteen, seven and eleven, nothing. This year they are sitting at what twelve and thirteen. Oh, this hasn't been updated. They were five. Maybe it has five and eleven. Uh, eighth in the conference. So this is his worst year in terms of conference record since that uh, CBI championship season back in 11 and 12. But they won 22 games that year, so they were able to get into the postseason. They're not going to get into the postseason. So I guess there probably would be reasons for discontent at in Fort Worth. Uh, by K-State standards, he's got another good year under his belt to go and maybe two. I mean, this is part of the natural transition, apparently, at Kansas State. Maybe it's all purple teams where you get to bottom out and ramp back up. 
this has been a brutal year for the Big 12. Three programs got caught in transition. TCU, to a lesser extent, they got some players. They're okay. Uh, K-State, in particular, Iowa State should be better than they are, but they're still the bottom three in this conference are the bottom three. The top seven will all be in the NCAA tournament. It's been brutal. I mean, K-State won the bad division going three and one, and they can emphatically win it by beating TCU on Wednesday. So I don't think they'll fire Jamie Dixon. He is their guy. I mean, he is a frog. He went home. He left a good job to go home. You got to reward him for that. Hang on to him. And honestly, I think this year might be more of an aberration. I think you do give him another year to see what happens. And if they continue to underachieve and then they're eighth, ninth, or tenth next year, maybe you light him up. But he's 96 and 70 overall at TCU, 34 and 53, 39% winning percentage in the Big 12 in his five seasons. That was a lot of Jamie Dixon information. By the way, he wears a size 42 sport coat. I don't know that. I just thought I'd throw it in. Next question is from Raslin, 1982. How long before basketball is fun to watch again? Even when we've won these last two years, has it been enjoyable to watch? Uh, Gills, you watch a lot of basketball. Is, is college basketball fun to watch on the whole? I like it a lot more than the NBA, yeah. Yeah, well, I agree with that. But I think the way it's officiated now has mm-hmm. made it an uglier product than it should be. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I, and plus, I think analytics have kind of taken a bite out of out of college basketball. There's no more running Rebels. There's no seemingly teams that go out there with reckless disregard to how you should play the game and just go out there and chuck the ball and run up and down the court and foul you a lot. That's a fun brand of basketball, but I think it's been proven it doesn't consistently win you games. I mean, we even saw Bob Huggins abandon his press Virginia that had been successful because it wasn't resulting in the the type of things you want in the postseason. Might have been successful in the conference, but he got in the postseason and that kind of fell apart. I, I think college basketball is an ugly product, but there's no doubt that even when K-State was winning conference championships, you never really had entire games that felt well-executed and elegant, right? I mean, it was the offense. Bruce Weber can't coach offense. And he didn't have anyone on his staff who apparently can't because Chris Lowry is also a defensive coach. I mean, that's just true. It, it's an ugly product offensively. Now, I personally, because I'm the kind of guy that goes to baseball games and appreciates the pitching, and, and I really appreciate the brand of defense they play. I like Bruce Weber's brand of defense more than I did Frank Martin's, the Dobermans, because I thought the Dobermans were a little bit too reckless, a little bit too many gam- gambling and and there's something just suffocating when, when K-State plays really good defense that's really fun to watch. The rotations, I, I like it. But you compare that. You don't have to trade one for the other. You compare that with a better offense. And it's always baffled me how Bruce Weber goes to press conferences and says, we need to run more. We need to push it. And that is never translated to the game. In fact, you can hear him telling his team to slow down. And if you look at the Ken Palm or whoever was measuring it, they're like one of the most sedentary, slow-paced teams in all of college basketball. You can't run a half-court offense. You should be running. Run. Get out there. 
get shots before they set up the defense, because once they set up the defense, particularly if it's a zone, you stare at it like it's a bright light and you're a deer. You don't know what to do. Did you catch his comment when he said because of this season and all the absences, he had to reinvent the offense like six times so far this season? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What? I mean, did you – it's like – it's like now you've knitted six ugly sweaters instead of just one. <laughs> but they've had some moments. And, you know, in, in fairness, it, it's been almost impossible to teach his team offense. But has he ever? I mean, hasn't a lot of the good offense been Barry Brown going to the rim? Dean Wade can stroke a 21-footer? Exactly. It's, it's not really out of the design. It's one of my ongoing things with Coach Weber. Is, it, is I watch Bill Self coach, and look, he's got better players. He's got NBA talent most of the time, not as much this year, but he will get his team six points a game off of inbounds plays or even the tip-off. They did it to K-State again with the tip leading right to a dunk. That's all coming from the bench. Those The players have to execute it, but that comes from the coach calling a play. I mean, if your coach can get you six points a game, you know what you're going to do? You're going to win a crap load of games just like Kansas has because six points a game can swing a lot of games in conference play. And I don't see that coming off of K-State's bench. Once in a while, they do a good job with the the cross pick leading to Davion Bradford dunking. You know, they probably need to use it more. They need to use it until people stop it. I can't remember what analyst was saying that, that – one of the Big 12 coaches just kept going back to the same play over and over. And I think it was Lon Kruger kept going to the same play over and over like an offensive coordinator saying, you can't stop the toss sweep. Well, here's the toss sweep. And once you stop the toss sweep and commit resources to stop the toss sweep, now I'm going to do something that you think is a toss sweep and it's something else. And I watch Bill Self do that, but I don't see it from K-State. So, yeah, it's ugly. It's an ugly brand of basketball. But they've won two Big 12 titles, being ugly. So sometimes that ugly sweater will get you a date. I mean, even when they're winning, it's not satisfying basketball to watch, in my opinion. Yeah. As not, as cool as it is to have hard-nosed defense and hold opponents to under 60 points a game, when you're scoring six more points than them, is it really satisfying? I mean, yeah, the the wins are nice, but the game itself needs to be somewhat thrilling here in my opinion you know like you mentioned Barry Brown Dean Wade they would score KC just hasn't had that the last two years nobody that's willing to go score so or even capable or or even capable <laughs> so until you find those pieces maybe it's Nigel Pack you know maybe it's Davion Bradford you know somebody needs to there needs to be somebody out on the floor every night that you can look at and say, that guy's going to get 20, that other guy's going to get 15. I mean, that's when K-State basketball will be exciting for me again. When you can look at Barry Brown and say, he'll get 20. Dean Wade, he's going to go get 15. You know, there's just no, there isn't anybody like that right now. Hmm. You know, maybe Nigel, but that's about it. If, if Bruce Weber does return next year, if he does, and you know all this talk about retirement and everything else that's out there swirling, if that's all just noise and he comes back and he just signs new players that are freshmen or JUCO transfers, uh, I'm at a loss. 
Beals, I point blank ask him about the transfer portal, and he mm-hmm. said, you know, Coach Katie told me a long time ago, you, you got to evolve with the game, and the transfer portal is a big deal. Now, I know Jay Heiderick keeps saying, second week in a row I mentioned Jay, that all the positions are taken, and I don't agree with that. Is it, I, I only think the two spots you're threatened by what's on the roster would be Davion Bradford, if you're a seven-footer, if you're a true post, you're not going to come to K-State. You've got a freshman and a sophomore who can play. They don't need that anyhow. That's fine. Or point guard. Now, combo guard, someone that can slide over to the point. Well, I don't think you're threatened by anyone else on this roster, even if Mike McGurl comes back. The only reason to be threatened by him would be blind loyalty by the coaching staff to him to play him over a better player if they can go get a couple transfers at the two, three, and four positions, somewhere in there that can score. If you get someone that can get you double digits every night, whether it's 11 or or 19, you got to go get them. You don't score enough points to win. 62, 62, and 61 in their three last victories is not enough to consistently win or be a pretty product to see. Yeah, the two and the three and the four are all just kind of interchangeable in a way. You can go out and get anyone. I, I'll, I'll say Nigel Pack, honestly, he's got the keys at point guard. But if Rudy leaves and you're a transfer and you're trying to get 20 minutes a game, you can play some of the two. So I agree that the bigs, the five spots, kind of that's that's done. But they can go after pretty much anyone and everyone. Yeah, because both of those guys, I know Bruce has done it a little bit, played them both at you know, on the floor at the same time. I think it's horrible. I don't like it at all. I mean, I think you would need to save that for someone who's actually twin towering you. Mm-hmm. You can twin tower back. But, yeah, I I wouldn't be – if I was a true post, I wouldn't come to K-State. But now that Antonio Gordon, if he has indeed left, hell yes if I'm a four. If I'm a three, four, a swing forward that can do both, let alone a stretch four that can shoot the ball. And I've seen Dean Wade get opportunities to score – that for some reason he kept passing on. Doesn't pass on him in the NBA. I love it. I, I, I probably would come to K-State. But those guys are hard to find. Last question of the first half from KNED. England's Football Association, their soccer governing oh, governing God's body. Sakes, Hang where on. are we going? We'll be, we'll, we're going to be okay, Fitz. Is it a Ted Lasso question? I'll it's answer. not. Ah, oh, damn it. England's Football Association is considering releasing audio of referees explaining their rulings and possible and having possible referee post-game interviews should referee pressers or post-game interviews be done in America. Love it! Mm-hmm. Okay, I apologize, yeah. KNED. That's a great question. <clears throat> but... I'm only for it if they have an English accent. <laughs> At least with basketball, they should. it should be like football. You know, when they go to the monitor and they need to make a ruling, I mean, hockey started doing it. They'll, you know, they'll say what the ruling is to the entire arena and have a mic. You know, whoever the crew chief is on the, on the, for basketball should be explaining what the ruling is. It shouldn't be, especially with these remote broadcasts, when you hear them like, we don't know what's happening, guys, which is a whole nother tangent argument and, and complaint about that. Well, but at least a, a white hat in football gets on there. Right. Basketball is like the only sport is what I'm saying that you can't figure out the ruling. You don't know what it is. Uh, let me, in, in all seriousness, let me ask you a question. Do you want to give John Higgins, Jerry Pollard, or Doug Sermons a microphone? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I'm going to go go to the monitor. Doug, Doug, you just want to talk to everyone, don't you? 
Yeah, no, I agree. They should they should explain it and um I got I've got a problem. You know, there's a, the pool reporter thing where if there is a question about the rules, you can have a pool reporter. But colleges, colleges, universities interpret that to be their SID. Bull crap. A working member of the media should be able to ask the questions with follow-ups as the pool reporter. A pool reporter isn't sending the White House correspondent in to ask the president a question. A pool reporter is asking the question to the president for everyone to hear the answer. And I think it should be exercised a little bit more often. I mean, we heard your explanation over the PA about this. What was the exact ruling? We couldn't. We couldn't tell. We 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 deemed it went off this guy when you know because I've seen that it clearly goes off. So when they still don't rule it right, I want to know why they came to that conclusion. They should be held accountable if they literally look at a replay and get it wrong. Still, they should be held accountable for that. They're not held accountable enough. That's what he's getting at. Yeah. They clearly are not. They are untouchable, and they officiate like they're untouchable, and they officiate like they're more important than the game, the coaches, or the players. They are the game. To Doug Sermons, he is God on that court. And if he wants to tee up Bruce Weber for saying golly gee to him, he will do it. And if he wants to just warn Bob Huggins for telling him that his mother's a you-know-what, that's that's it's Doug Sermons' game. He can do that. He can do whatever he wants because he is not accountable to any way, at least in a public forum. And as far as I can tell, in any forum, because he keeps getting promoted as one of the best referees when he's complete horse crap. See, I think, yes, I would love to see referees have post-game press conferences and have to answer questions. But initially, it would be a total disaster. You know, th- these guys would melt up there be having to explain their decisions. And once the the quote unquote good officials right now are the ones that are the regulars, if they melt trying to explain their decisions away, they're not going to be hired. You know, they're not going to be calling games more. So it, it, the press conference essentially becomes part of the game. You know, if you are going to be held accountable and if you can defend your actions out on on the and your decisions out on the floor out on the field you'll be able to eloquently explain those and you'll be considered one of the good officials and i think it's another element that the referees need to be able to defend their calls well uh, gills michael goins uh asked very direct and blunt questions i love it mm-hmm. would doug sermon's call a technical on him <laughs> yeah doug this is this is a media event you can't call technicals on the media you'd probably remove him from the zoom exactly i'm kicking you out of here <laughs> you bring up a good point though i mean we go in and critique the players why'd you do this why'd you do that the same thing should be you know the officials should be held accountable there's no reason they shouldn't be you know i think it's, been- it's part of the game for the players and the coaches to go address the media why I not the refs Another angle, the media needs to be more informed on the rule book, too. They need to know. Yeah. They need to know it just as well as the referee. Mm -hmm. If you're going to ask the hard questions, you need to know what the hard question is. Any particular rule you're after there? No, I'm just I'm just thinking of potentially. I mean, there's there are potentially complicated rules, you know, when it comes to flagrants or, you know, other other things that have a long list of criteria that the ref surely should know. But, you know, I'm still astonished at the number of games I watch um, and the analyst says that's not a that's a 
That's not charged because the defender's feet are moving, which has absolutely nothing to do with the rule. It's about your body position. Basically, your hips are what's important. Yeah. If your hips are in and chest are in front of a guy, it doesn't matter if you're dancing with your legs. It's a charge. Uh, you, you're right. There's some of that going on. Not with me. I know everything. I think we all know that. You should become a ref. That could be fun. I used to referee slow pitch softball, <laughs> and I was pretty good at it because I was Doug Sermons. See, I come wow. from a point of understanding who Doug Sermons is. Because it was all about you. This is my field. Diamond. This is my field. And if I want to call a strike that's three feet over your head, it's a strike. We'll be back on the second half here with the Powercat Questions podcast sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. The Powercat Podcast will be right back. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We now send it back to the PowerCat Podcast. Welcome back to the PowerCat Questions Podcast, sponsored by the Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Thank you for coming along for the ride today. Long first half as we got into a lot of topics and much more awaits here in the second half. And our segment sponsors are Tanner's and the High Low. Get to Aggieville on Saturday. Come to Manhattan, folks. If uh, you want to get out of town, Saturday is St. Pat's Day in Manhattan. So come on down to Aggieville. I don't know if downtown's doing much with it. The road race, of course, is in Manhattan. I will not be running. I'm just going to put that out there in case there's any confusion. I mentioned the road race, not because I'll be competing. I don't feel like that's fair to the other competitors that their race be interrupted for an ambulance. So I won't be participating, but it will be Saturday uh, is St. Patrick's Day, not fake Patty's Day, because if you haven't heard, they're not doing that anymore. Eh. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and uh, this is real Patty's Day. This is the actual one. Saturday in Aggieville. So get to Tanner's and the High Low and all those other great businesses in Aggieville and throughout Manhattan and come to town. It's supposed to be nice this weekend. Come hang out, man. 
I'll be I'll be the guy in the green shirt that says world's largest leprechaun. Here we go. Second half of your Powercat Questions podcast. If you're a VIP member at Go Powercat, you get to ask the questions at Wabash Station. And here's Gills. First question of the second half from Claws Out, Balls Out. On a scale of 1 to 10, how important is this year's football season for recruiting? It seems like another bad year could really destroy the belief in what Kleiman is building. It's huge all the way around. Yeah, if you want to look at it from a recruiting standpoint, I mean, they're struggling with that 22 class. They just are. Um, You can't have that bleed into 23. I mean, you you need to kind of get over the hump a little bit, maybe more like that first season, and prove that the COVID season of 2020 was an anomaly, not just for recruiting, for everything, for your players, for your coaches, for your fans. Got to get more buy-in from recruits on up, and they're capable of that. And as I've said, because of that nature of that six-game opening portion of the schedule, the first half of the, the schedule, it's brutal. Southern Illinois beat North Dakota State, and that's your Patsy game. They didn't just beat them. They took them apart. So, yeah, all six of those first games have different Levels of difficulty that make you worry. It gets a little bit easier on the back half, but you got to be alive and well by then. So, yeah, they need this. They need a good season. I mean, I'm not talking 10 wins, but above 500, certainly as a baseline. Seven wins. That's what I think they'll end up with. But then get to nine, even eight, good, good. Build that belief. Yeah, I don't know how to scale it. I mean, it's it's obviously you, you need a 10, but what is a 10? You know, recruiting is important every year. It needs to be a 10, you know, based on, you know, what your football season's result is. But what is a 10? Is it that baseline of 7 and 5? Is it 8 and 4? Is it 9 and 3? What What is one more win going to do for the improvement of recruiting, so to speak? I don't know if there's a good answer for that. But K-State most certainly needs to be above 500 as, as a starting point. I'm with you, Fitz. You just... Recruits aren't looking to come join K-State because they won 10 games. They just want to know that when they're there, the program will be moving in the right direction. Now, you can't keep going backwards. If if they go to four wins this season, they're in big trouble. I mean, if they go from four and six to four and eight, it really is going the wrong way. I don't think that will happen. But if they get a bunch of injuries early, they lose it to Stanford. That Stanford game is huge. Huge. Stanford's not supposed to be great. They're supposed to be okay. So it's almost like playing a TCU or a I don't even want to say Tech. I think Stanford's better than that. In On a neutral field. You got to go win that, man. Come home. Handle Southern, which I don't know if they'll be good or bad. Playing a spring schedule followed by a fall schedule that's just weird. How many games are they playing in the spring? I think they have a 10-game schedule. And they're going to go full, full fall. Then they'll be in the playoffs too. I yeah, I'm not I'm not terribly worried about Southern Illinois. Um, Nevada's good, and then you jump into the Big Twelve with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State. It's just awful. You you got to yeah. beat Stanford. Next question from I Like Pickles Cat. While I think our football starters will all be Big 12 caliber, I don't see many difference makers. Which players can make at least honorable mention in the Big 12, and how many do we need to be in the top four of the conference? Well, I think the offensive line is going to be pretty good. And I think we might see two or three guys 
that were starters last year lose their jobs? Maybe two. It's going to be really competitive. When I did the mock-up of, you know, for a story of that offensive line, I came up with 12 guys. 12. And they've got a lot of young talent they really like. Uh, if you're looking for dynamic playmakers, you already have one in Deuce Vaughn and another one that is highly thought of in Skylar Thompson. K-Staters hopefully now realize the value of the kid after what happened last season. They need to. You know, and I think getting Joe Irvin back is really promising. It gives you someone else that can maybe be, you know, not the same type of player, but another guy that can get out there and do some of the same things. Someone has to step up at receiver. It's just someone needs to have a breakthrough big-time season, period. Defensively, if they shore up the middle, they get some depth at D-tackle, linebacker, I think they're going to be pretty good. And I do think there's some upper-level guys there. I thought at times last year Bronson Massey was about ready to break through and do what we always thought he could be. So I'm really happy he's back. Daniel Green, maybe. He shows flashes. And I think they got some really good guys on the back end. I think the corners are as talented as K-State's had because of COVID. Because they just discovered Echo Boydo and, and Justin Gardner were big-time players. They brought in a transfer. They got some other young guys. Folks, I think they have the makings of a pretty good team. But do they have the football equivalent of Michael Beasley? No. I mean, no. But guys mature into it and step up, and maybe we'll see that. A receiver's got to step forward. And a tight end, it's got to – he can't – he doesn't need to match Bradley Moore, but he still needs to be have a threat because it's so important in this offense. But receiver, come on, man. One of you has got to do it. Whether it's one of the guys we know about or someone that's going to all of a sudden erupt into a player, they've got to have it. I mean, to answer the question, I think you need probably six or seven guys making the all-conference team if you're going to be in the top four. But I don't see which guys or I don't even think I can come up with six or seven guys on the team right now that I could say, hey, they're going to be all-conference. Deuce Vaughn is your shoe-in. If you have Deuce Vaughn and Skylar Thompson has a huge year, yeah, I mean, right there, you're that means you're pretty damn good. If and Thompson has a huge that. year, then there's going to be a wideout that also has a huge year to complement yeah, that. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and the defense, you know, as we saw last year, like you mentioned, Echo Boydo, Justin Gardner, T.J. Smith, you know, guys emerged last year because of COVID. And you'll get those guys back. And I don't know if those are all-conference types of guys. I'd love to see it. But there's still some some unprovenness out of them, but definitely something solid going into the future. Is unprovenness a word? Unprovenness. I, I made it up. I, I, I would go with unprovenability. <laughs> I think that's a good <laughs> word. Next question from Raistlin. What would you say earlier? Rastlin. That's Rastlin. Or Rastlin. How much is the motiv- motivational speaker paid, and wouldn't that be money better spent on recruiting personnel? I don't know. We don't think he's paid by the university. We think it comes out of Kleiman's personal. We can do some digging. We'll do some digging I, on that. I, We're I, actually curious about that, and I would agree with you. I mean, obviously Chris Kleiman sees a role for him, and True Carroll mentioned how he fired up he was after hearing him speak, and I haven't heard anyone say a bad word about him. I, 
I just, I think it's weird. I just do, folks. I think it's weird to get this guy that flies in for your games and rah, 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 and he's on the sidelines acting like a coach. And he, I, I don't know. I think the whole thing's odd. What a great life. Don't really have a job. You're just kind of like a motivational guru consultant flying around from Alabama to Fargo to Manhattan, all the hot spots, and firing people up with stolen slogans. Pound the stone. Didn't come up with that, but I took it. Win the dang day. Well, I don't know about that one. Someone else come up with that? Hope he doesn't hear this. He'll kick my ass. He could. He could just stare at me and scare me. Next question from Mountain Dew Cat 74. Has there ever been a lower point in the men's sports? Not that I know of. They've always been good in one or the other. It's kind of like a, a teeter-tottered football. And that's part of the reason why Lon Kruger left is all the resources were going to football and he wasn't getting his practice facility. That's how long it took them to build a practice facility. Lon Kruger wanted it. Dana Altman didn't get it. Tom Asbury didn't get it. Jim Woldridge didn't get it. Bob Huggins didn't get it. It went on the chalkboard while Frank Martin was here and Bruce Weber got it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's it's pretty bad. But, you know, they were so good in basketball until, you know, the 80s when – when football started to take over later, very frustrating. Arg. Zach, in your vast I, memory. I, I can't think of anything. Yeah. I mean, like, really, basically my entire life, K-State football has been good. Right. K-State basketball has been good for half of my life or so. The early part was the 90s, and we know how that was, the yeah. 2000s, early 2000s. to see what they were like. I mean, you like, and then you go before when I was born, K-State basketball was the good team and K-State football was terrible. So there's like this period where, where one or the other is good. I mean, yeah. it, we're truly at the bottom, which is crazy to say, even coming off of a six and or a four and six football season, it's not like K-State's what they were in the eighties, yeah. you know? It's just K-State basketball is that bad this year. I mean, that's the anomaly. That's I mean, the you problem. Just, these last two years, you haven't seen this kind of thing. Maybe like 04 when Bill Snyder won four games and, you know, they dropped off the end of the table and Asbury was still the coach. Or Asbury. Wildridge was still the coach then. Maybe. I don't know. For my life, nothing compares to this. This sucks. So, yeah. It sucks. But as we've covered earlier... At least we're not KU. <laughs> That's the one thing Bruce Weber does. He doesn't do the. Uh, he doesn't doesn't cheat. No. Last question of the podcast from Mountain Dew Cat seventy four is the athletic department still suffering from a John Curry hangover? He ran off a successful coach, possibly gave Weber an impossible set of limits, and created. Tension and butted heads with Snyder establishing an environment in the football program that possibly still haunts the veneer complex today. That's a deep question. Very Zach. deep. You had Very to include deep. that, didn't you? Sorry. <laughs> Mountain Dew Cat asked some good questions this week. I mean, look, we're like 40 plus minutes into the podcast. We've been brilliant, by the way. 
and we've used up all of our good brain cells. Now we're just left with the, like the backup brain cells. And we got to answer this, Zach. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I get your point. I get I get your point. Um, anytime you're running off, you're harassing, hazing is a better word, hazing a coach based on personality and not what's going on on the court. Yeah. I mean, you're not really working in the best interest of athletics. You're working in the best interest of you. This is the thing that has, that bugs me about a lot of ADs. You forget you're the boss and you're supposed to run um, a successful athletic department. And all John Curry could see with it from his coaches was, I don't like Bill Snyder. I want to get rid of him. Ah, uh, they're winning games. I mean, they're not going to the BCS, but he's, he's stringing together bowl games. John, there's a lot of room below that you don't want to mess with. But he wanted to get rid of a Hall of Fame coach. And that tells you all you need to know. Set aside what he did with Frank Martin. Frank yelled at people. You know, I, and that was threatening to John. He was mean. But he wasn't mean off the court. He was just mean on the court. And that's just not fair. I mean, he was looking at things through a John Curry's perspective. I've said it before. I'll say it again. He's a beta, and he was threatened by any alpha, Deb Patterson included. It's not about being a strong man. Any alpha coach threatened him, and he had some. But with all that said, he set a tone with fundraising and development and building facilities at Kansas State that still lasts and has greatly changed the future and outlook of the department. Gene Taylor's picked up on it. If they stay on course, they won't have a new Coliseum or field house, but Bramlage will be much different if they blow out the west side and put in a new structure there and have a tunnel entrance more close to ground level so older fans can come in, mid-arena, more stuff underneath there, better locker rooms. They're going to totally change what Bramlage looks if they can raise all that money. And right outside of there will be a beautiful volleyball facility that will be able to house uh, other things than just volleyball, but it'll be primarily volleyball with an Olympic training center running down the side there all the way out to college in the, what, left field, beyond the left field wall of, of baseball. I mean, that doesn't mention what they want to do with the indoor facility and all of that stuff that will go in that East parking lot, which people are pissed about, but they got to get over it. And oh yeah, then the old indoor facility will become the indoor track facility and it'll be dressed up with a nice indoor track because I mean, a Hearn is just not a good indoor facility and there really isn't a really good one in the, in the big 12 now. I mean, the best ones were A&M and Wait, Nebraska. Talking about football? In, indoor track. Oh. Indoor track. Okay. And uh, I did make that clear, right? Indoor track that will be the indoor f- football facility. And, I mean, that'll be a nice facility. It's adjacent to their outdoor track, and it's perfect. Yeah. So all of that, even though the, a lot of those plans came from Gene Taylor, the momentum came from John. And I don't think we should forget that either. K-State doesn't settle on crap anymore when it's building things. It doesn't build a deck without restrooms. It builds a, a oddly named Shamrock Zone, which I understand is from a donation, but it's just odd. Um, 
that is going to be absolutely incredible. And if you've been in the club level on the the west side now, it's absolutely incredible. And the football facility is absolutely incredible. I wish they would build up a structure there on the east side to match and put athletics offices in that, but that's not going to happen. But all of that is because of John Curry. And don't be confused. He changed the game. No, no longer feeling sorry for yourself because you're little old K-State. You're not settling on facilities. And yet he was prepared to settle on results on the field just so that he likes his coaches. Weird. Just the whole thing was weird. Oh, I don't know. I mean, he was he was Jekyll and Hyde. Some really cool things, and the other things are like, what are you doing, man? Why? That it? I don't have anything to yep. add. I agree. Okay. Gills, you haven't flunked out yet, have you? <laughs> Not yet. Okay, keep working on that. What, four more weeks? Eight more weeks? Yeah, eight, I think. Got a career lined up in male exotic dancing or something fun? <laughs> yep, yep. Okay, good. I Use do, that K-State degree. Yep. Those journalism degrees are really valuable nowadays. That's it for the Powercat Questions podcast. We'll talk to you next week. We'll have the insiders and questions uh, after, uh, probably. I mean, let's be honest here. Basketball season will be over. What do you mean? Next week. No. They're going to win the tournament and keep playing. Uh, see, see, you just keep propping up the false hope that they're going to win the Big 12 tournament and make a run into the NCAA. And oh hell yeah, they're going to. We're going to Indianapolis, Zach. We're going to cover the Cats and the NCAA tournament for three weeks straight. I just rolled my eyes. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.